0: women podcast for your career and your life no matter what business you're in hello and welcome to a very special episode of the northern power women podcast in association with united utilities i'm sam walker today you'll get to listen to a very special webinar that was recorded in celebration of inclusion week Hosted by Simone Roche, MBE, contributors included Joe Harrison, Director of Environment Planning and Innovation at United Utilities, Rob Mukherjee, Director of Transformation at EveryCloud UK, and Christina Pearson-Rampiari, a Flight System Engineer at BAE Systems. And there was lively discussion around topics like unconscious bias, allyship and advocacy. You'll also get to hear a very special edition of Life Lessons from United Utilities' very own Julie Newton. So let's get to it. Over to you, Simone.
1: Good afternoon and welcome to a Northern Power Women webinar supported by United Utilities to celebrate this, which is Inclusion Week. We've got a fantastic webinar ahead for you this afternoon and we're here fancy today I'm not having to do any of that are you on are you on mute or that we're at MSP Global Studios today who are housing us and it's fantastic. It's just weird which screen to look at. I'm delighted to welcome our fantastic panelists. We've got Joe Harrison, who's the Director of Environmental Planning and Innovation for United Utilities. We've got Rob Mukherjee, who's Director of Transformation for Every Cloud Security, and Christina Pearson-Rampiare, who's a Flight Systems Engineer for BAE Systems. So the format today is I'm going to welcome our panel in a second, and we want you to join in the conversation. I've already seen a little bit in the chat already. We're using the hashtag, hashtag inclusion, And we're going to be talking a range of different conversations today from unconscious bias to allyship to advocacy. So please do join in the conversation on chat and I will be bringing the panel in to discuss your conversations later on. So without further ado, let us welcome our panel into today's webinar. Welcome, welcome all. How are we today? Good, thank you. you Very
2: good, thanks
1: Joe, can we start with you? Jo, tell us a bit about yourself and um,
3: what are you an advocate for? So um, my name's Jo Harrison. I'm the Director for Environment Planning and Innovation at United Utilities. I've worked at United Utilities for 22 years, so a, a long time. I joined as a, as a graduate and I joined in, back in 1998 in an all-female graduate intake year which now seems you know, very progressive for 22 years ago. But I suppose you know, I'm really sort of focused on trying to make sure that we get a really good um, selection and cross-section and diversity of people at United Utilities. I've obviously been an advocate for females in a very male-dominated environment, but you know, we're sort of thinking far more broadly around you know, social inclusion um, as well as, as, as obviously ethnic and, and you know, gender diversity. So it's a real area of focus for us at UU.
1: Thank you, Joe. Great to have you here today. Rob, over to you. Great to see you again. A massive advocate and supporter, an award winner, a multi-award winner. Congratulations. Last week you were on the Haro's the um, advocate list, weren't you?
2: Thank you. Yeah, I was. Uh, so very pleased with that. Hi, everyone. I'm Rob Mukherjee, Director of Transformation at EveryCloud, as Simone said. Um, we're a very small business, uh, 10 people at the moment, uh, working in uh, cloud security, cloud communications. But my background has been in corporate so until two years ago I spent most of my life in corporate most recently with Vodafone and actually when I first started my career in the uh, in, in the 1990s as well I started in a very female dominated office there's about three lads and about 20 girls in our customer service office and even prior to that I think my passion for um for gender balance as Simone well knows had already been born through um coaching a women's football team in terms of Inclusion, I'm really passionate about, you know, this whole journey you often see about inequality to equality, to equity, to justice and getting all that way to justice, which means that, you know, the removal of the systemic barriers we often see is something I'm really passionate about. And in terms of what I advocate, I think I've kind of moved a little bit now, you know, I, I try to advocate for all layers of inclusion, of course, but having long been an advocate for gender balance and for women in business, I'm trying to move that on now to be an advocate for male advocates, if you see what I mean. So we really, really need to drive these male advocates. So I'm trying to be an an advocate for male advocacy, for gender balance.
1: Brilliant. And that is one of the things we're really passionate about when we set Northern Power Women up. We always said it is about, you know, role models, all genders, all backgrounds, you know, all all those stories. So I think, you know, people always say to me, oh, what about Northern Power Men? And I'm like, we are absolutely, you know, we we want that advocacy. It's so really important. And we thank you for your advocacy, Rob. Christina, welcome. How are you? Fine, thank you. Tell us about yourself again. And a multi award winner. You've had a great <laughs> year, haven't
4: you? <laughs> um Yeah. So my name's Christina Pearson Rampiari. I studied a master's degree in aerospace systems engineering, and I've been working at BAE Systems for about six years now as a flight systems engineer. I returned from maternity leave last May, 2019. And since then, have won the We Are the City Rising Star Award this year in defence, and been selected for the Northern Power Future Northern Power Women Future List, um, and become a professionally registered chartered engineer. So it's it's been quite a year, and I started a small business. So I'm an advocate for women in engineering. Um, There are only twelve percent of working engineers who are female in the UK. And I feel very passionate about inspiring more young girls to consider STEM careers, especially after my own experiences of studying and working in an environment which is majority male.
1: And haven't you created, I've seen on social, Christine, you've created little badges as well?
4: Yes. So um, I created uh, over over lockdown and um, came up with the idea of creating little enameled pin badges saying this is what an engineer looks like and donating part of the proceeds to the women's engineering society fantastic that's and is that going well <laughs> it's been it's done better than i thought it would really it's been quite a surprise
1: and just i'm just picking up on you rob you talk about advocacy uh and i think we've all got a passion here in, in sort of different areas and cross areas and i think we've launched a report this morning uh, leveling up and powering on report, um which we did uh, just a few hours back and Over this COVID pandemic period, it is we cannot get away from the fact that the people that have been disadvantaged most by this awful pandemic have been women black asian minority ethnic and our young people you know and, and we've got a we've got a long winter ahead so i think you know how do we we asked we had andy burnham on the on the session this morning and we, we asked him to advocate for for what we're doing which is if you like we've talked long and hard about giving up a seat at the table uh, or, or you know give us a seat at the table we want more than one seat but you talked about advocacy rob why you know why is it so important to move from that i suppose passive role into active how can we get more people to be advocates for for the areas that they're passionate about
2: yeah I think the um the, the why is really important so I think the processes you know that you can go through and you, I, I love the report by the way um, that came out today and the the whole piece about it's not just about lofty plans it's about really cracking on and doing doing practical things and I've always been an advocate for do find practical things that you you can do in terms of the why I think one thing we've seen there during lockdown is unfortunately people have reverted to their their previous core of what was potentially important to them and and, and maybe they've maybe have seen the the, the sort of the, the inclusion pieces, the icing on the cake or the you know the, the 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 bit that's built on top of their core roles and I think unfortunately that's kind of become a reality during lockdown unfortunately people have fallen away a little bit um, from the things that they they know they should be acting upon, but I often try and go back to reminding people of probably three key things that you can absolutely demonstrate inclusion makes a difference in. And one is innovation. And I don't think I need to preach any more about why why diversity breeds innovation. I think that that's well understood. Another one is collaboration. I do get frustrated when people say, oh yeah, well, we know women are kind of collaborative and they're in, um, you know, they've got great empathy, but they're not competitive. And um, there's a, a lady close to Northern power, I know called Natalie Reynolds who I saw do a brilliant piece on women are brilliant at competitive collaboration. And then the other thing I think, you know, probably still on innovation, actually, it's not just about coming up with the ideas, but it's about quality decision making. So for innovation, you need creative ideas, and you need quality decision making. So once you've got a room of diverse people making those ideas, the quality decision making is often lacking because historically, you'll see the board of men, let's say, will accept a group of ideas that have come from a diverse group, but the decisions are made by a group of men who all pat themselves on the back and think oh haven't we done a great job because you don't have the constructive tension with differences of opinions in that decision making so you have to have you have to have diverse people at the decision making board and then the final thing I'll say is transformational leadership is the is a third thing so innovation collaboration and then thirdly transformational leadership because in this day and age we don't live in the Dickensian age where you have clocking in and clocking out and we've got you know, a situation where people just won't accept that command and control type of leadership. We need relationships leadership. And again, that takes diverse people with diverse experiences and diverse perspectives on life.
1: Thanks Rob. Joe, how do you build a, a culture of advocacy within United Utilities? Because obviously you're a far spread out business, even more now with obviously people working from home, but you still have people all over the north, the north of England. How do you champion that, you
3: know, enable more advocates within your organisation? So I suppose we, we undertake a variety of different approaches. So we have a really strong a sort of philosophy around mentoring and championing people. So, you know, we have sort of um, strong relationships between some of our graduates and our aspiring managers and, and senior leaders, which we, we really try and make sure of, of sort of um, that hold fast in these sort of strange times and different ways of working. And then we have some very strong groups that look at things like um, gender equality, and we have um, a BAME network, and um, so you know we, we have quite a few networks that sort of spread across the organisation as well. Um, but I think it's a it's a really fair point that you know it, those sort of things are really easy to um, ensure that you're doing, and you can really focus on them when you're all in the office together. Um, and there is a real risk that when you're all working from home, like you know, we are at the moment, that they can be seen as the icing on the cake, like Rob just explained. And um, you know, we've really got to sort of actually sort of put them at the front of our to do list. And the you know, front of everybody's minds that actually it's about creating that cohesive, progressive workforce that is the most important thing that we need to be, be doing and, and not just a, a nice to have. So I think it is a real challenge in these times. And I suppose, you know, it, it's very easy to reach out to those people um, who want to be reached out to and who are themselves looking for that help and support. But for all those people who aren't, people can become a, a little bit lost in these times. And so it's really important that we continue to focus. in this area absolutely
1: and and Christina you're clearly an advocate you know you've just talked about wise you know women women in science and engineering a great organization and you you want to be that visible role model but what would you say how would you encourage other people within their organizations especially at this this time where we haven't necessarily got that day-to-day physical connectivity it's it's it's, uh, it's bizarre today to be in this wonderful studio here and see lots of people in close contact or with masks on but you know it's it, how do we really encourage that allyship within organizations what would you what would you say to people why is it important to to be an ally
4: well obviously it's really important to be an ally to create that inclusive atmosphere that we need to for diversity things that people can do speak speak up if there are situations where you are comfortable about A situation or if you see something happening speaking up speaking to people about their experiences what can be done to make them feel like they're more included and valued having an inclusive and supportive working environment makes uh, employees feel more valued and that helps with creativity and creating that atmosphere where you have the result of innovation that you need from that
1: think innovation is a word we have talked about a, a few times today and and I think I over this period as well, I think I, I kind of kind of seesaw from thinking, gosh, we've got a real chance to innovate and, and build forward better to then you know, how do we not go back into that nineteen sort of fifties Britain approach? Um, have you seen that within your organisations? You're all sort of very agile and forward focused organisations. But there's anything within your businesses you've have you seen that come about? We we had some reports where we heard you know presenteeism was back in certain places. How do we how do we stop that from happening, Rob?
2: Um, <laughs> so we we actually made a decision in June 2019 to do away with our offices. Permanently. So we, 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 we're quite happy that we're a year ahead of the curve in that sense before it was forced upon us. And we did that because of presenteeism, because what was happening was we saw people turning up to work in an office because they felt they had to be there. And they turn up, still spend most of the time talking to customers um, you know, on the phone, which they could have done from home or, or by video conference. We also wanted to introduce a concept of a four day week as standard and pick your own hours as standard. And that then became, again, the norm. So the norm became, instead of being in an office, it's at home. We'll still have co-working spaces if people want to get there. I haven't seen so much with our clients or with, with, with our partners of people focusing too much on presenteeism. That may be the nature of the business that we deal in, because as, as our name suggests, every cloud is all about working in the cloud and not needing physical physical premises. But in terms of how, you know how, how you stop people relying on it, I think it's it probably comes back to the why again in, in, in terms of the education. I used to be a bit of an idealist think it can just be about the why and educate people and it'll happen. But I think your, your report quite rightly showed that you need to do some quite, not, not exactly aggressive, but some quite pushy stuff as well. To really make stuff happen otherwise you won't shift the status
1: quo. I think there's something about intention I think it's sometimes it's um, and I think that kind of this brings us on to when with the death of George Floyd back at the the start of the summer and the the, the rise and the the vocal of the, the Black Lives Matter movement and the protests and everything that went around that I think the conversation was around how do we be how do we join this conversation how do we do something and I think I think it was Meghan Markle speaking, it was like, it's better to say something than to say nothing at all. Christina, how is the, the different sort of the politics, the COVID, the Black Lives Matter, how has this sort of impacted on sort of your conversations around I- inclusion? You know, how do we educate around sort of some of these topics, and particularly our
4: kids? I think most importantly, it's listening to people, um, listening to people's experiences, listening to those who are affected. And then educating ourselves and educating others based on what we're hearing educating children I think being honest because my little boy he's only um, he's two years old so he wouldn't really understand but we still have to set an example to him biases are learned from society from people around you um, so things like that can affect the way that children are brought up so it is important to be honest
1: Joe what about um, how do we talk to our kids about what's going on right now the you know've we've, we've just come through a challenge in six months we've potentially you know got a, a few months uh, ahead of us um, you know with all of these different issues going on how do you talk to how do you how do we parent around this
3: well I think maybe we almost need to ask the opposite question so my i've got two daughters they're 12 and 14 and i would suggest that they're educating me most of the time you know i like to think of myself as being a you know, very broad-minded and very liberal um but you know the, the the kids at school these days are, you know, really sort of focused on diversity and equality and inclusion, you know, to such a significant extent that it's just how they are and how they they live their lives. And I think, you know, the education from my perspective is the other way around a little bit. How do we take that, you know, youthful enthusiasm for for seeing the world in such a, a wonderful way and bring that back into the workplace for, you know, a sort of 20s to 50s to actually sort of embed in in the way that we work and the way that we expect people to to behave with each other. I know. And I think, you know, sort of, sort of linking back to what you were asking about in terms of the sort of ways of, of working and, and post-COVID, you know, I think that actually this sort of you new know, step change in a working environment, working from home, working flexibly, will really enable us to be thinking differently from an inclusion and diversity perspective, because it allows us to be so much more flexible and, and take account of everybody's needs. So I'm, I really hope that we can just maintain that moving forward.
1: Joe, you, in essence, have had your own uh, reverse mentorship uh, from your kids. <laughs> any top tips, anything that you thought, gosh, I had no idea, any, any, any sort of, uh, any wisdom that was imparted to you that you thought, right, well, I will never have got that over the last six months?
3: Oh, I, I don't know, really. I think, you know, it, they're just so accepting of everybody wanting to live their lives in the way that Um, they want to you know it's just very very refreshing I think to to sort of experience that and I suppose you know the thing that that I think that we sometimes have a bit of a blind side to is around sort of social inequality. Mm-hmm. I think you know we're very focused on trying to promote gender equality and trying to, um, to promote an, a sort of diversity um, of, of sort of thought and experience but how much do we focus on social equality and social inclusion and making sure that we've got the right opportunities for all parts of society to, to flourish and succeed in, in the roles and the careers that they undertake.
1: And Rob, uh, your, how are your kids been over lockdown? How was homeschooling? If I looked on social media, Rob, I think it was football training, was it not?
2: Yes, it was actually. <laughs> yeah, so so Cameron ended up on a uh, on BBC telly one Saturday morning, the the, the few days after his eleventh birthday, on um on the goals at home on Match of the Day. On football, so He was delighted with that. How did they get? They're, they're definitely glad to be back at school. That's for sure. So. I think, like all of us, they, they you know started off okay, then went through that dip where people are the lowest, and that that was the same with them. Um, really missing, you know, really missing school and friends and wanting the routine back. So, not easy. Uh, definitely, I think, you know, I'd echo I, I what Joe said. You know, I think children's capacity and and you know capacity for inclusion really, and, and I wouldn't even call it a passion because it's just normal for them. Cameron, um, you know, my, my younger one, his, you know, one of his football coaches is a woman, which. In my day, would have seemed really strange. The fact we listen to football commentators on the BBC now that are women, and it doesn't seem odd anymore, is Grace. You know, and, and my eldest son, you know, he, he does Brazilian jiu-jitsu now, but he's played netball, and that was seemed totally normal for a lad. So I think it's just hopefully not questions these things anymore. It is just the normal. Whereas I know in my day, all of those sorts of things would have seemed strange. But yes, the kids are both Grace, thank you, as is Heather. <laughs>
1: and actually one of the things though one of the first things that uh you did a talk for us uh, years ago um which was your That's your right. only young once wasn't it rob and and that was about the premise of taking parental leave wasn't it mm. and and i think there was almost an essence of that unconscious bias around it or or you know sort of a gosh you've taken that surely you're jeopardizing your career did you because that, that, that happened to you didn't you it, it, didn't it rob
2: yeah exactly that so it would have been um you know and this is the difference between Parental leave and maternity, so paternity leave that, that Simone was talking about. So, parental leave, for those who aren't aware, is the fact that anybody can take, anybody with children can take up to 18 weeks leave through the first, uh, per child, through that child's first 18 years, and up to four weeks per year per child. So, when my uh, eldest child was about five, 10 years ago I I took parental leave. And in the corporate that I was in at the time, there were other senior leaders or peers of mine saying, Are you not worried what that will do for your career, taking time off with your children? And I wasn't worried and I refused to be worried. Um, And actually, when I changed bosses, my first boss was fine with it. But when I got a new boss, his words, when he found out they had parental leave planned for the summer were Jesus wept, well, you'll have to cancel it then. And I didn't cancel it and I refused to cancel it. And I just know it was the right thing to do, because to Simone's point, um, you've got a lifetime of work, but your children are only young once. And I think this is something linked to the whole paternity piece that it's it feels wrongly historically it feels more normal normal for for women to take time off work than it does for men, and therefore that breeds a certain society in in, in, the, in the working environment where men feel uncomfortable that they will be looked at differently for taking time off work to spend with the children, which just goes to cement that whole caveman you know mentality of oh yeah, woman stays at home to to cook. And grow things, and look after the children, and man goes out hunting for the money. It's just an absolute nonsense that believe well belongs in the Stone Age. Well, it didn't even belong in the Stone Age actually, but, but it certainly doesn't belong now.
1: And and Christina, what do what do your your young one? What do, do they do they look up to Mummy and think that Mummy is a total rock star role model who makes cool badges as well?
4: <laughs> well, I don't think he really understands yet, but I, Mummy is the one who volunteers and daddy is the one who cooks and that's how it is in our household we share responsibilities we alternate who does bedtime who does nursery drop-off we try and do as much as we can equally and uh, my husband does the activities at the weekend takes him to swimming where when I can do some volunteering work so it, it works out for both of us and he gets to see us both in our roles as equals
1: And did you make that an intentional decision and, you know, that that was going to be the case?
4: Not at first, but I think because I I wanted to do things, I wanted to carry on with my work. I wanted to take these opportunities that I'm getting. And in order to do that, we had to balance the work. Otherwise, I couldn't do everything and do the household things as well. And it's not been an issue and it's just seemed natural. Thank you.
1: One of the things I want to move on, we talked about sort of unconscious bias, you know, that it's, a, it's a well-used phrase, everything around inclusion, but kind of want to hone down into sort of language and, you know, what language we use. I think we've referred to the Black Lives Matter, you know, so the out, outcry after the George Floyd killing and the term, the terminology used around that. And I think even when we were writing this report and sort of telling different stories, it was, we had to be sort of really intentional with there's a real outcry against the, the term BAME and how do we best describe the audience that we're trying to advocate for or allyship is and I know sort of you are so sort of broad in all of the areas that you've covered Joe. but is you know is this something that you've had to take on, uh, into account at, at UU around the language which you use for your colleagues and how you employ and etc.
3: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think we all worry, don't we? We're sort of worrying that we're sort of tri- tripping ourselves up with our own language. Um, I'd never heard that about BAME. Um, we have a BAME network at United Utilities, so I guess we might have to to look at, at, at changing that. So um, I think, you know, there's lots and lots of sensitivities that, you know, we, we worry about, we don't properly understand. and We, we just need to, think, um, we need to think a little bit differently about in terms of the way that we communicate to others. And I suppose it's how we translate that into the outcomes that we're trying to achieve as well and and so you know sort of focusing sometimes you know sort of creates a bit of of um of attention that isn't necessarily going to sort of lead to a productive um outcome or a productive change so yeah it's a really complicated area
1: and and rob around around language you know you're in the cloud space uh so you're everywhere how do you how are you making sure you have the right tone of language for your organization or as you're kind of uh communicating with your colleagues and clients
2: Yes, yeah, so um, a good example, of, I'll, I'll use a, a very specific example actually related to the client. So we do a lot in the sports sector. So, of course, Everton is one of our clients, but, but football, cricket as well. <laughs> cricket. And one thing when I came into the organisation, I, I looked at our Protect Your Sport brochure um, a couple of years ago. And with no malicious intent, of course, that brochure was covered with pictures of white men doing sports. So things like that. And and. And when I said, we've got to change it, everyone agreed. And they just echoed, oh, we didn't do it intentionally. And it was actually the, our our company didn't do it. The graphic designers did it, but that's no excuse because it was going out from us. So things like that, you know, I think that because we do a lot in the sports arena, that's just one example of of something we do. And then because we do that, people internally and externally, mainly internally really, makes it sure that next time they'll realise, well, actually, we need to make sure everything we do covers all types of people.
1: Uh, One of our power lists, Penny Haslam, um, broadcaster, uh, journalist, and she used to do something called a Haslam test. And it was exactly that, Rob. She would go through the brochure. If she was doing work with a client, she would go through that brochure or go through that website and say, does this appeal to me? Who does, do I look like that person in there? And and Christina, you know, I go back to your badges, uh, badge envy, you know, uh, this is what an engineer looks like. Is that why you created that to, again, sort of change the myth of what that perception
4: was about. 100 percent There's a stereotype, isn't there, of what a typical engineer looks like with a hard hat, um male um in a high-vis jacket. Um if you Google engineer, I'm pretty sure those are the images that come up. Um and I wanted to show that that is not just just what an engineer looks like. An engineer looks like all kinds of people because all kinds of people are engineers. And that's that's why I started it
1: and I think that that's the power of role models I know um jo, you you are passionate about social mobility and obviously you cover such a wide reaching sort of area in different disciplines within the business social mobility again it's, it's something that can't always be seen but why is why is social mobility so important to what you're doing I know you've got a big uh, you've got a big launch haven't you next week
3: for the social mobility pledge yeah, so we're, we're working across the water industry with Water UK to develop what we're calling a social mobility pledge, which is, you know, all around sort of trying to focus on how do we sort of represent ourselves and our customers and make sure that we're sort of really driving improvements in, in social mobility. And I think, you know, you're absolutely right. It, it can be a bit hidden uh, away. And, you know, in the in our area sort of covers the northwest of, of England. We're, it's one of the most um, deprived areas of the country. We've got some really... Poor communities. So what can we do in order to really sort of try and, and drive better social mobility through those communities and and you know, in everything we do in, the, in people we directly employ or we employ through our supply chain. So it's it's a, a real area of focus for us. And um you know, we're doing quite a lot of work with um, people like Salford University to to really sort of try and, and drive in, improvements in our sort of recruitment approach um, you know so it's, it's really sort of um, it's about focusing on all those entry points within the organisation how we can do things differently to attract different people and um, who, who aren't necessarily like us who, but who think differently and bring that opportunity for innovation and creativity um, like we talked about before.
1: Thank you, Jo. And Christina and, and Rob, so to both of you actually, is that something that you, your organisations have taken on is that you like that blind recruitment where you you can sort of de-gender or uh, sort of de-influence the, the applications that come in front of you. Uh,
4: Christina, do you do that at BAE? At BAE, I know that they are using more gender decoded language for um, what I meant. job description. Decoded. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, there is a tool that you can use online to see What kind of uh, phrasing, what bias, whether it's male or female, is used in the wording that you're using. I read yesterday that the US, a research in the US showed that gender neutral job adverts received up to 42% more applications than their more biased counterparts, which is a massive amount of talent that you're potentially missing out on because you're skewed to a particular bias in your job description. And so it just shows you really um, the difference it can make.
1: And, and Rob, yourself—is this something that you
4: guys do?
2: So we're we're ten people in our organisation, so we have a very very flat hierarchy. So every job description that goes out, I get to see anyway. And yes, exactly what Christina says—we make sure we test using those tools that it's um, you know that it, 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 it's inclusive in terms of the the language. The CVs don't come in blind because they come in straight to us from an agency, and we we know in cyber security we really struggle we really struggle to find women who who join us so we're we're 80 that shouldn't be that hard should it's working out eight out of ten but but we are 80 percent male in our employee base and it it guts us it really does and we we ask our um our agencies you know try and find women and we we really struggle
1: i think you need to get christina to make this is what cyber looks like badges
2: Mm. yeah yeah yeah
1: I've got some questions here. Um, do you feel inclusion, this is from Diane, Diane R, do you feel inclusion is segregated into different groups, rather than looking at solutions for all groups? So should we keep the separate employer groups, or should we look at more of a united group? Joe, I know you've got, you've got lots of employee groups, really proactive groups over there at Lingley.
3: Yeah, we have. And I suppose that's sort of evolved over the last sort of five or six years. And there's obviously a model that lots of companies employ. Um, but I do really get the point. You know, I've never thought of myself as being different in any way. You know, you you sort of so why distinguish between men and women and, and promote, you know, focus on promoting one over the other I don't know I don't know I think it's a really really good point and I think you know it's about how you sort of get that um parity of approach across all different types of people so yeah a really good point.
1: And um, Christina do you think it do you advocate for sort of separating it in different groups or do you think it should be sort of group by group
4: sort of that I suppose, that intersectionality? Uh, like Joe, I think it's a really good question um at BA there are different employee groups I guess there are different issues particular to different groups, whether solutions for all groups would fit all is, is another discussion point really.
1: We worked with them, Liverpool Football Club, about 18 months ago. Really brilliant. We're talking about like, you know, women at Liverpool Football Club and ultimately the group that um, they ended up curating and has been so proactive. is like a unity collective, which is, you know, trying to take in the different challenges from each of the groups. So I think ultimately as well, Rob, it has to fit within the culture of the organisation, doesn't it? What type of groups that you have?
2: Yeah, I mean, we have our every cloud, every one group. So and we're a very small organization. So we have one group, basically. However, my for, for larger organizations where I have worked before and for societies, my personal opinion, rightly or wrongly, is that it does make sense to have separate groups. And the reason I say that is because one problem I think you have, or I personally had growing up, was identity. So I think people often need to feel there's something they can strongly identify with. So whichever minority that would be, I think it's important. Otherwise, the you know um, disabilities is often, as an example, of a, fa- mm. a forgotten minority. And I think if you lump it all into one, then my opinion, rightly or wrongly, because it's just opinion, Shall I stop apologising for having an opinion? Yeah, <laughs> my,
1: you should. My, never
2: But <laughs> my <laughs> opinion is that you you know you do need those different things. And I remember, you know, as I was growing up, I really and I often tell this story when when we you know when we talk about um, ethnic minorities, is that. I was a massive, massive Evertonian, but Everton was the last club to re- that, that remained, having white players only, and Everton was renowned for having a racist crowd in the, um, you know, in the late 80s and early 90s, and I was there and ha- had to be subjected to that at So on the one hand, I really, really wanted to be part of this Everton family, but on the other hand, I was Asian, so you know, I, I, I found myself torn and confused between what, 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 what is my identity then, because I, I don't fully feel fully part of either.
1: Thanks, Rob. I've got a couple more questions here. Christina, I've got one here. As someone who was just starting their career, what can I do to drive change within my organisation when it comes to diversity?
4: And um, that's a really good question. Um, I think talking to others, maybe setting up DNI charter, setting out commitments for yourself and for your employer. And making sure those commitments are measured, and that you revisit those commitments. That's important to make sure that the change that you want is is happening. And if not, what can you do to make that difference? How How did you
1: go about influencing change within the organisations you've worked at?
4: I think I started by networking a lot with people who are like who are like minded um, in the same minority as me, other women, and then making that making not noise but speaking out about my experiences and then I think with people seeing how I was feeling and also felt the same way it kind of um, struck a chord and that in that way it was how do we want to make these changes that we want and those discussions and that's how I started.
1: And Joe, actually, this week, we've started over the lockdown period, we've started a Northern Power Futures podcast uh, supported by United Utilities. And that was absolutely going to the voices of young people to sort of address their hopes, fears, dreams, aspirations. And I remember at on the very first season, I think there was a question along that line says, you know, I'm going to start a new role. How do I network within that role? And how can I kind of influence for good within that? You know, how how are you uh, um, sort of dealing with that at UU as you've got sort of new joiners, new starters,
3: apprentices? How can they influence what goes on? So I think I suppose it's a variety of things, isn't it? So you know, I think it's I'd really encourage people to have mentors or advocates or sponsors or whatever you want to call them, but people who will understand the aspiration that people have and help guide them and promote them and you know, introduce them to opportunities. So I think that's you know it's still a, a valid method and mechanism. I think you know encouraging that sort of um, uh, you know alignment of like minded thinking. So get encouraging people to to form groups um, and you know sort of. Seek out those experiences. Um, I think, you know, sort of being confident to go and look at other departments and, you know, spend time, you know, not doing work experience, but going and understanding sort of the broader spectrum of what other parts of the business are are doing and just being confident to, to challenge. And I think you know, that's something that you know managers really need to sort of encourage that you know, it's making sure that everybody has a voice in the organisation and you know, trying to uh, sort of encourage that diversity of, of thought to to create a better environment, more innovation, et cetera, et cetera. Dame Julie Kenny was on our report
1: launch this morning, and she talked about having they had an apprenticeship as a as a trustee. And I thought that was really interesting. And they've, and it's not just it kind of leads me on to the next question. They've it's not a a lip service thing or a tick box thing they've done. They've you know it is a full term that they've taken. So it wasn't just oh we'll just get somebody young on on the trusteeship and whatever. They've now bedded that in. They will always have you know an apprenticeship role on that you know on their trustee board, which I thought was interesting, and that. The, the, one of the other questions I've got here, this is for you, Rob. Um, what sort of things can you do to make sure a company you are interviewing for is genuinely inclusive and not just paying lip service to it? I think this is some of our Northern Power Futures questions <laughs> coming in here. It's brilliant. But what, what do you think, Rob? What sort of things can you do to make sure that? And it goes to the point right at the start where we talk about, you know, that, that sort of how you go from being a passive supporter to active. You know, how do you take the lip service away?
2: Yeah, I, I I smiled and grimaced when I saw that question because it happens, right? And, you know, I, I remember last year I got really fed up on International Women's Day because I saw so much, so many PR stunts and I, I knew some of those companies and I knew the reality behind it. So it does make me really, really cross when companies pretend they are, there's something they're not. Um, what kind of things can you do? I suppose ask, you, you, you know, because often if, if a company wants to recruit, right, the reality is... And we've all been there. They'll wheel out the people. <laughs> They'll wheel out people to make the company look great, right? I think you're just asking very, very searching questions. Now, a kind of analogy that I, that I did was when, um, you know, a, a previous company I worked for a while ago, I, I asked them um, when I went for an internal interview, this was what that manager thought about parental leave. And I knew that my previous manager being supported, but the manager who was, who was going for this interview with her answer And I was a lady, she said, um, say the book was a lady because people might think, well, it's only blokes who would have these views. But her answer was, well, it's your entitlement. So I said, well, I know parental leave is my entitlement. I asked what you think of it. And her response was, well, we know you're going to be, we we know it's going to be really intense in this role. And if you take parental, the more time you take off with your children, the more pressure you're going to be putting on this business. So I think you need to go away and have a think about that, Rob, and decide what's important to you. And I did go away and think about what was important to me. And I'm glad I didn't take the role. So I think don't hold back. And I I know another lady um, who I've been mentoring has gone for an interview recently at a manufacturing company. And we had the same kind of chat and we said, ask the questions up front very specifically about what's important to you. Don't join the company. Don't try and get through the door and then say, oh, well, actually, I'd like to do this. Or actually, I'd like to do this. Or actually, I believe this. Be really clear on what beliefs are important to you at the interview and test them on it.
1: Thanks, Rob. Sorry, you got a tough one there. You didn't have to apologise. Jo, when encouraging women in the workplace in both internal growth and in employing more women in business in general, so when encouraging more women in the workplace, how do you propose is the best way to target and encourage those women from disadvantaged economic backgrounds who often have less exposure and opportunities available to them uh, in the first place?
3: I think one of the sort of the really sort of critical things. I mean, obviously, you know, like Christina, and I work in a sort of STEM industry, so we're you know we're really looking for um, you know people with expertise in in the sciences, and you know I think there's there's an issue, isn't there, around sort of the the understanding of of careers and opportunities that exists among you know sort of some sections of, of society, and unfortunately, and I think you know where we're really focusing is how to sort of provide really good careers advice how to provide experience um, for people of what working in an organization like ourselves is is like and so that you can sort of really open people's eyes to to what type of careers are available in you know science and, and industry but also then to provide a sort of structured view of how they would then access those so you know i think it is quite a difficult thing to do we're trying to do more and more of it Um, we offer um, lots of internships and you know that's a really good way of sort of seeing what an organization does and and trying to sort of build that knowledge and understanding but I think it, it is quite hard but it is it's you know, it's very impenetrable what a lot of us do isn't it you know um, lots of you new know, parts of society I've got no idea about you know the careers and the industry that sort of exists and and so how do you sort of try and, and really open people's eyes to to what those opportunities are um, and how they might fit into it and how you know it, it sort of represents you know, opportunities for people like them and and how do you sort of you 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 create that environment it does go on to the,
1: I always think it always comes back as well to the visibility of role models, uh, if you can't see it, you can't be it, uh, and I'll just keep another plug for yeah. Christina's badge, uh, but I think it does, doesn't it, I think that is, that's really important, and so um, so one sort of, just a question here is, you know what more do you think that needs to be done to reduce the pay gaps in particular disability? Um, and I think I, saw, I, th- I think I saw an article on LinkedIn this morning because there has been over this COVID period a sort of a, the, the reporting of gender pay gap has been stalled or has been paused, shall I say, not stalled. But what can we do sort of to keep the momentum going? What can we do to... It, is it diversity is being invited to the party and inclusion is being asked to dance? What can every one of us, because we always like to... You know everyone, we want people to go awake and kind of what 's the one thing that everyone here on this zoom call who watches it later or hears it on the podcast what 's the one thing that everyone can do to kind of make that the society or the organization more inclusive? Just give that time to ponder. Thank you so much for everyone who's posted their questions before I go to the panel with that last one uh, christina what can what's the one thing that everyone can do to make a more inclusive organizational or more inclusive culture around them christine
4: so hard to pick one thing give me two it's good cool. <laughs> i definitely think listening because the only way that we we will know what people want from their working environment or what people need is to listen to people about what they want and what they need i think that would be my main point really listening
1: joe what would be your top tip how do we make a more Your community,
3: your organisation, more inclusive. One of the things that um, I thought about when we were sort of preparing for for this session today was the fact that you know, even within work and even in the sort of you know trying to think with an really inclusive mind, we are still very much have a tendency, don't we, to engage with people who are like us. And so I think you know it's really trying to to think differently about that, and to sort of think about how you create that you know better diversity in the people that you engage in in meetings, in decision making, to try and seek out alternative perspectives. Um, and because I think it's so easy for us to just try and and sort of reinforce the views that we already have. So how you know it might make life a little bit more difficult, but how do we create that much sort of broader approach? Approach to, to thinking and decision making okay thank you and Rob
2: yeah um, kind of echoing Christina's point I, w- I was going to say exactly that the listening the listening and also looking out for you know in e- in everything you do and I it just happens to some of us naturally now anything you spot where you think actually that's not inclusive try and redress it and do something about it and I think maybe you know in years gone by um, a long time ago I might have known it wasn't inclusive but just let it slip or it just wasn't worth the effort. But absolutely realize it absolutely is worth the effort. So every potential opportunity you have to redress the balance, then please take it.
1: And is that the same as about calling it out? So if you
2: yeah, hear exactly somebody or time.
1: Yeah, and, and and is that something do you think do you think we're getting better as a society of, of calling out?
2: Um Yeah, I think we are getting better, but it will have happened to all of us. Every now and again, someone will push back and say oh, I think, you take, I think you're taking it too far or I think you're focusing on it too much. That will happen every now and again, but we still carry on because most of the time it will be accepted. But I think every one of us sometimes would have, someone will have sighed and gone, oh, you're still going on about that. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, we are getting better.
1: So how do we keep going on that, Joe? How do we call it out or find a different way to do it? If we hear something that has been said that has been wrong or poor behaviour?
3: I think... Um, I think if you hear something that is is you know wrong or is poor behavior, then I think most people feel like they can challenge it. I suppose it's where you've got things that are a bit, little bit more subtle, isn't it? You know, so how many times do I go to a meeting where I'm the only woman in the meeting? It happens an awful lot, and you know it's it's not that the wrong people are invited. it's just that you know actually we haven't got that diversity in the workplace, and so it's how do you sort of start to challenge? things like that so it's this sort of the more subtle things i think that actually will perpetuate unless we try and stop them and is there and just any
1: sort of top tips i'm just going to try and summarize and if you've sent any questions to us that we haven't got to we'll try we'll pick them up in the uh, in the follow-up blog uh, write-up that we'll do on this as well but just any top tips on balancing the recruitment process Top tips. Just a, um, a quick. We've talked about blind recruitment. We've talked about gender neutral language or gender decoding. But any top tips or anything that you've even seen that other organisations do? Christine, have you seen anything in this space?
4: Um, so I would say for one of my top tips, I would say learn about what your biases are. There is a tool, a Harvard tool, where you can recognise what your biases are and then learn how to mitigate those biases. Brilliant. Thank you, Rob. Yours top tips.
2: Um, just something we experienced, we found in a, in, a, in a smaller business with our with our lack of um, female talent. What we have succeeded in doing um, is bringing on women who have been made redundant, and, and one of them was um, been made redundant and then had a the child, didn't want to go back to full time work, so do something that works on their terms, and it worked really well. Another woman who wanted to do a four day week. Um, on her terms which gave us the idea which was that when we took her on we thought well why do not we do that for everybody taking on people who may not necessarily be qualified i saw something in a chat message from someone yeah. saying well they may not have achieved the qualification that's exactly what we do take people on who might not necessarily have the qualification but they've got the raw talent and then something else we've done is um where we can't employ somebody necessarily we're also trying to get this partner ecosystem where we there's a lot of people you know in the northwest trying to start their own businesses so we try and partner with self-employed women trying to do their own thing and use them as a consultant who we might pay a fee to. So even if we can't employ people directly, we're actually trying to help that ecosystem as well of people trying to run their own businesses.
1: And I think there's a Harvard Business Review report out recently, which is around the majority of people going back into big offices uh, would be white men. And, And actually, that was leaving a lot more women either getting made redundant or being furloughed or having to cut their hours or leave their jobs but actually there's a rise of that freelance stroke entrepreneurship coming up as well so that's great news that you're supporting that ecosystem as well thanks Mm -hmm. rob Uh, joe any top tips for you in that recruitment process
3: i think the thing for that i've sort of really want to focus on going forward is this sort of issue about imposter syndrome so women not feeling that they're good enough to undertake jobs and that sort of link with the way that we have that sort of narrative of of explanation of job roles um, that we, we use so really sort of focusing on the language that we use and really sort of encouraging and mentoring women to take more of a chance than than they otherwise would. 100%
1: I think imposter syndrome happens to every single person male female all different backgrounds Um, I've got it on this lone studio right now but it's quite cool so but listen I just want to thank all of you for getting involved in this conversation this week and inclusion week thank you for all of you on zoom who have put your questions in the chat if we didn't get them we'll circle back around and get uh, get onto them but please keep the conversation going on social media at north power women a big thank you to our fantastic panel to rob to christina and to joe and thank you so much for our fantastic studio here today at msp global and thank you so much for united utilities for supporting this this will be put onto a podcast in in the coming weeks and we'll also have one of our life lessons but if you want to share your journey then please do send us an email, connect at Northern Power Women. You can share your life lessons. As Joe says, get away from that imposter syndrome and tell us all about yourselves because we want to spread those stories. Thanks so much for giving us the time this afternoon and great to see you. Thank you. Hashtag we are NPW.
0: Thank you so much to everyone who took part in this very special webinar. Joe Harrison, Director of Environment Planning and Innovation at United Utilities. Rob Mukherjee, Director of Transformation at EveryCloud UK. And Christina Pearson-Rampiari, a Flight System Engineer for BAE Systems. And of course, a big thank you to the host and founder of Northern Power Women, Simone Roche, MBE. Do come and join us on a future webinar. You can connect with Northern Power Women on LinkedIn to find out more or find us online at northernpowerwomen.co.uk. Now, as we do every single week on the podcast, it's time to hear from you and an instalment of Life Lessons. This is the place where you can share your wisdom and insight around your career and working life. This time, it's the turn of Head of Organisation Development at United Utilities, Julie Newton.
5: Hello, my name is Julie Newton. I work for United Utilities, and I'm a working mum of three gorgeous children. So here are my life lessons. Tell us about an important role model in your life. This has got to be my mum. I know everybody says it's their mum, but really is my mum for me. So came from a council background, was the first one in our family to become a teacher, get a great education, and then buy a house, and was tough and kind of worked through some really, really challenging times in her life. And I think she's taught us all how to be resilient, how to push forward, and how to really, we can be the best that we can be. And that's a lesson for us all in our family. What's the one piece of advice that has really stuck with you? Well, this has to be about networking and the importance of networking. And I think sometimes in your early days of your career, you're so busy getting on with your job or maybe socialising that you perhaps neglect networking. And then life passes by so quickly and you look back and you kind of think, I wish I'd connected with those people. I wish I'd stayed in touch. So my advice is absolutely network and keep your network going from as early an age as you possibly can, because it really will serve you well in the future. So what's the difference that a mentor has made for me? So a mentor for me was the person that made me grab every opportunity with both hands. And I would say if you get the opportunity to be a mentor or to be mentored by somebody, you should absolutely grab that opportunity the mentor that I had was the person that set me on the right track with my career that advised me and supported me when I was looking to change my career and actually without that conversation and without that time to think things through I honestly don't believe I would have had such a successful career as I have had to date so I think a mentor for me has been the person that's nudged me pushed me challenged me and we all need a little bit of that don't we What would I tell my 25-year-old self about work-life balance? This is a great question, isn't it? So I think I would tell myself about work-life balance, that you can have it all. You can have the career. You can be a working parent. You can actually do so much more than perhaps you think that you can. Um, And so for me, I would say that balance is absolutely key. It's when you get your downtime and you re-energise so that you can be brilliant at work, It's when you can invest in family time so that you have those treasured memories. And for me, it just requires a little bit of bravery and tenacity and asking when you need support or help or to flex your hours or to work part time or whatever it takes. But I feel like work-life balance is absolutely achievable and that you can have it all. You just might need to be a little bit braver about asking for that. If you had a chance to change a decision in your career, what would it be? so i guess it's not one decision i think it's more a combination of decisions and i think if i could change something in my career i realize now at my stage in my career that actually time goes really quickly and there are opportunities at every stage and actually you just need to seize those opportunities and make the most of them when they cross your desk or when you get in contact with somebody or when somebody reaches out to you seize those opportunities I think probably I thought the opportunities would always be there or come at at a later point in my life. And of course they have, but there's some that happened really early on in my career that I maybe um, would have thought
0: differently about at the time had I thought where I am now. Thank you so much to Julie Newson from United Utilities. We would love to hear your life lessons too. It's really simple. All you need to do is choose from our bank of questions and share your expertise. Please do get in touch. If you'd like to take part, just send us an email, podcast at northernpowerwomen.com and we'll tell you exactly what to do. It'll only take you a few minutes. A huge thank you to United Utilities for supporting this very special episode of the Northern Power Women podcast. We'll be back with our next regular episode on Monday, November the 9th. Until then, I'm Sam Walker and the Northern Power Women podcast is a What Goes On media production.